The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. Right now, though, with the 2020 presidential election still undecided and really too close to call in key states, investors are facing uncertainty about how the stock market will react if there's no clear resolution in the coming days. While initially Biden and Trump's battleground seemed to be issues of trade and middle-class growth, now the candidates focused on how the country will navigate the economic downturn created by the global COVID-19 pandemic. That's something whomever gets into the White House is going to have to focus on. With the COVID-19 crisis shaking the U.S. economy to its core, the role of government in the economy is front and center once again. This afternoon, we're joined by Michael Campbell, the host of Money Talks on the Chorus Radio Network. Michael, welcome back to the show. Well, my pleasure to be here. There's not, there's not a shortage of things to talk about, that's for sure. <laughs> Let's start with where's your hat, head at with what you're seeing in the U.S. right now um, and, and how that could impact the U.S. Uh, economy. And then I want to get into how it could Im- impact the Canadian economy as well. Well, I think a couple of things. One on the broader scale, my big picture is you're watching the demise of uh, the United States. And I think I've been saying that for a number of years. And this election is just more of that. If you just stand back and say, do you think this election has increased the cynicism that generally people have about politics or decreased it? Well, I think it's definitely an increase on this. The fact that, for example, right at this moment, uh, President Trump is questioning the legality and the veracity of the voting system, I think, again, has been something that's been in play for a number of years. The actual challenge of the system, as opposed to, I don't like that particular candidate. When you start challenging the system, that's when real problems start. And remember, in the last 2016 election, they were 15 minutes off the vote, and all of a sudden there's accusations that Russia had influenced that vote. And again, that's a systemic challenge. They're, They're challenging the credibility. So that's my quick big picture here, is that we're watching some really massive historical change that this is just part of that process. All right. Well, before we get into um, some of the other stuff, when you talk about watching the demise of it, then then how can that be reversed, do you believe? How can that be changed? Yeah, I, personally, I think it's too late. It's the same thing, uh, you know, one of my big things is about Europe doing the same thing. And when I first started to talk about that in 2010, uh, you know, people that, it's a pretty difficult thing to absorb, but now you see it. And, of course, we've already had Brexit, as an example. Mm-hmm. We have anti-EU parties. This is an anti-establishment move, and I think we have to understand that. At least that's the framework with I look at it, and I don't see any evidence that that's uh, not the case. How could you reverse it? Well, you need uh, to start emphasizing uh, integrity, as an example. <laughs> but I, I think it's very difficult to reverse it in this way because they're about to have huge pension problems. I mean, mm-hmm. economics is a big force here, and you're going to have uh, significant pension problems coming in the States. We've already seen it. I mean, we've seen it in Stockton, California, and we're seeing it in Chicago. We're seeing it in Puerto Rico. We've seen it in Detroit. Illinois has got a huge pension problem. There's so many examples of it. I think that just furthers, pushes the credibility of government down the road, and that's what I keep looking at is confidence in government. 
and it's clearly being eroded. Yeah, and you know what? I was reading an article earlier today, and, and this is what it said. It said at, at one point the economy was put on a pedestal. It has now been fractured into a series of other political debates that are not in the country's economic best interests. goes on to say economics is no longer where it used to be as an overarching consensus. It now seems to be getting political in a way that it hasn't been in recent memory. Would you agree with that? And, and um, you know, I think you, you've, you well, I, I I think you just said that you agreed with that, to be honest with you. Well, I'll give an example. You know, I mean, we've come in that we're in the pandemic. We've got a, a you know, so-called second wave at this point. Yeah. We know there's been massive economic destruction, but even more financial. Uh, look at the burden we've taken on in Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so our recovery has been predicated on borrowed money, not on more productivity or other reasons normally you'd grow the economy. So it's completely to do with that. I would have thought that the economy would be front and center other than Mm. solving the, not solving the pandemic, but getting ahead of the pandemic, you know, our health, then you can build an economic recovery. Well, I would have thought that would have been the order that we do things. For example, if you're worried about uh, charitable donations, well, you're not doing that with the Greek economy. If you're worried about the vulnerable and the poor, we know they paid the biggest price. You would have thought that would have been front and center. None of that gets solved without a strong economy. And yet, We've got lots of other agendas taking precedent at this point. And that's what you saw in the U.S. election. I think it, by the way, cost the Democrats. But again, I'm just in the peanut gallery looking at that. <laughs> but I mean, you know, some of the some of the Democratic policies were definitely uh, wouldn't prioritize economic growth. We're definitely not prioritizing economic growth in a lot of what we do. Mm-hmm. I was sort of surprised at that because it would, be, it would seem to me so blatant that all of the other problems that's come past our health, the other problems that have come through are only solved with a stronger economic recovery, and yet it's not a priority. So I agree with that statement. I look around and I watch just other agendas take precedent. Uh, Michael, you know, with with the global economy really in this steep recession, uh, as you said, there's 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 got to be a lot of focus on 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 getting it back on track, digging out of this. When you look at America specifically right now, right now it appears, I mean, by you know slim margins, that it uh, is going to be uh, a President Joe Biden. His policies, from what you know, how will that impact uh, the United States economy over the next four years? Well, the big question is the Senate. You know, let's let's say Joe Biden wins in a squeaker mm-hmm. and he becomes president. The Senate's still up for grabs, maybe leaning slightly toward Republican. I think that's what the markets have been looking at uh, up to today, because if that's the case, then some of the uh, things like moving their corporate tax rates from 21 to 28 percent will have real trouble getting becoming legislation. Parts of their Green New Deal are, you know, when he literally mm-hmm. said in one of the debates that he wants to end the oil industry. Well, that's going to have trouble going forward. Uh, you know, his opposition to Keystone will be a big concern for people in Alberta and across the country. We'll have to keep a close eye on that. So I think the Senate is really going to be the key. And one of the reasons the markets were not panicky this week, uh, you know, they had a very strong uh, first four days of the week. I think we're up about we were up about seven percent, which is an incredible jump. I think it was predicated on hey, we're going to get gridlock in the States. That's good news. (laughs) We're not going to get that aggressive agenda uh, passed. So I I think that's what you're looking at. I mean, keep in mind, the Democrats lost uh, seats in the House of Congress. I mean, there's some aspects of their program that clearly didn't resonate with people. Uh, So I think it comes down to the Senate. And the Senate goes Republican, and it 
may well not, but if it goes Republican, and I guess the odds are still slightly in that favor, then I think the stock market, for example, is happier. Some of the economic policy will be more status quo than some sort of radical shift. And I think that's what the markets are very concerned about at this point. Michael Campbell is the host of Money Talks on the Chorus Radio Network, joining us this afternoon. Um, you, you touched on on Keystone, and of course, a lot of people here in Alberta watching that very, very closely. I talked to a political scientist the other day who thought that um, Joe Biden, if he becomes president, might not move on that like he said he would. Now, you touched about kind of some of the uh, the, the, the way that um, things are set setting up there, that it could be difficult or more difficult for him to get things done that he said he wanted to get done. But when it comes to the resource sector and the impact that scrapping Keystone at this point would have on Alberta and into some uh, states into the U.S., your, your thoughts your thoughts on that? Well, the thing that concerns me a bit is keep in mind, President Obama also uh, was against the Keystone yeah. Pipeline, and that was despite the advice of his own State Department, who made it very clear that cancelling Keystone was actually going to cr- increase emissions because oil would then be transported by rail, which has higher level of emissions than pipeline. But President Obama ignored that advice from his own hand-picked State Department. That's why I think, and of course uh, Mr. Biden was Vice President at the time, that's why I think that one particular policy uh, may go, you know, he certainly may press it. And of course, it also satisfy clearly the Democratic Party has now absorbed uh, people who would be considered more on the left of the political spectrum, uh, and especially on the environmental mm-hmm. side, that kind of thing. So again, uh, it'll be interesting how it plays out. Can he get it through the Senate? I don't know, but he, uh, he can certainly oppose it. I think that's still on the agenda. All right. Uh, the one thing, though, that I, I should bring up also is that one thing the Democrats and the Republicans were closer on is their sort of uh, this sort of nationalistic buy America policy. Yes. So the big debate going forward is what's the size of the stimulus package? Both parties proposed mm-hmm. one, but the Republicans were significantly less, five hundred to one billion dollars. Uh, the Democrats were around two billion dollars. Again, with a Republican Senate, they may have to, you know, come to some agreement on that, some compromise. But there will be a stimulus package. But Mr. Biden has said, you know, again, played that sort of national card and said, we want a Buy America plan. And I suspect that's where it'd be implemented. And again, that has implications for Canada. And I don't think you'll get a big pushback from the Republicans on that one. I think that's another one that you're going to find uh, people north of the border keeping a very close eye on this. How how much, how extensive this sort of Buy America attitude is going to be. We have seen uh, the U.S.-China trade war kind of dominate. We've seen, uh, you know, uh, the Trump government in Canada, uh, you know, negotiate a new uh, a trade yes. deal. When it comes to trade uh, with, with a Biden government, um, what are you seeing there? Because, again, you touched on this, this, this competitive of the U.S. industry and wanting to really push that. I think, though, that what the expectation is, is that President Trump's policies felt erratic. Uh, Like, out of the blue, we had aluminum tariffs. Presto, kind of feeling. Uh, You know, he would tweet out the next uh, trade policy, whether it was against uh, European and threats about uh, some sort of tariffs to European auto manufacturers, that kind of thing. And a lot of, by the way, that was not based on economics. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that President Trump's done, not on purpose... But one of the things he's done is really brought trade policy to the forefront. And I think you'd find a lot more Canadians understand the importance of trade than they did before President Trump was there. In fact, uh, the year before he was elected, 
we had a very small proportion of Canadians who thought trade was good for Canada, which was absolutely not supported by any of the data. Of course, a country of 35 million would kind of like access to the biggest consumer market in the world of 330 million. You know, that, mm-hmm. that would kind of be a good thing. But we had Canadians who didn't understand that. I think that's completely shifted when the threats, when they were renegotiating NAFTA, the threats were very clear. The sectors that were going to get hurt were very clear. Canadians have come a long way. And I thank President Trump for that. Made my job a lot easier talking <laughs> economics. Hey, thanks, President. Your, your bad policies have really highlighted what bad policies look like. But that was certainly the case. Uh, but I think that the, the assumption with China, I don't think there'll be much of a change because both Republicans and Democrats have agreed that China is uh, unfair trade practices, stealing intellectual property, et cetera, and the American public's on board with it. But I just think you're going to see the expectation that something more traditional, uh, mm. not tweet-oriented, not <laughs> feeling like it's erratic because the latest you know, uh, push. So I think they're expecting something a little smoother under Joe Biden. What do you think we should be watching for then in the coming days and coming weeks ahead when it comes to the Canadian economy? Well, I think we have to appreciate, first of all, and we're getting some numbers that are slowing, showing that our recovery is slowing down. Not a surprise. Why? We're having more lockdowns. You know, we'll have to see the degree to which uh, the second wave of the pandemic forces more lockdowns. That's really key for us, obviously. As I said, we have to sort of solve that problem before we can work on other things. But the other things start with economic growth. So I think that's the first thing is how damaging is this so-called second wave to the overall economy, how many shutdowns are we going to have, restrictions, et cetera. That's up in the air. Uh, next big thing that the Bank of Canada mentioned this last week, all of their scenarios, as they well they should be, are still predicated on getting a, a, a vaccine. But the challenge is not just developing one, it's obviously testing, but manufacturing is going to be a big challenge for any vaccine. I think we've been very naive in the discussion of, hey, we'll get a vaccine. Uh, well, you know what? How do you manufacture hundreds of millions, if not billions of doses of it, if you find something successful? So it's not quite as easy, you know, going forward. And I think our focus instead should be on how do we reopen the economy safely? I think it's getting clearer and clearer that we cannot afford these wholesale shutdowns. The, the implications are obviously huge for finance, huge for economics. But now we started to appreciate the social cost. Uh, we had doctors in Ontario uh, last week, talk about how many patients they're seeing, uh, cancer patients, at, at a much later stage because they didn't see mm-hmm. them in April when they could have been stage one cancer patients. Now they're stage four. And they rang the alarm bill. You're seeing other medical professionals ring the alarm bill. You're pe- seeing people concerned about men- mental health, domestic abuse, suicide, addiction. All of those things were at least getting a better sense that there was a cost beyond economics and finance to locking down the economy. So it's a, a more robust de- debate right now on what's the best way to go forward. Um, but anything that you're seeing in way of forecasting is always having to make an assumption of how, how significant is the second wave? Are we going to find a vaccine? When are we going to be able to implement it in a way that, for example, could open up international travel? It's all of those things that are still out there. And I think people have to appreciate how fragile the economy is. And my wish... Uh, and I think it would do every, everybody a world of good if we started to only focus on economic recovery besides the health aspect. Uh-huh, uh-huh. What can we do to mitigate this damage? Because I'm telling you, uh, when I see these other agendas getting floated out there as if we've never had a pandemic, those old hobby horses that are so predictable, I think that's actually dangerous. And we know who it hurts the most 
It starts with the vulnerable, people with intellectual disabilities, people with low income. The stats are very clear now. We know who's getting the most impacted. Before I let you go, Michael, because I know you have a, a busy day, um, are you still <laughs> holding your breath for a budget or have you, have you taken a breath and say, okay, gosh, when is this going to show up? It is amazing that we haven't had a budget since March 2019, right? Mm-hmm. And other provinces have been able to come what together because I think if somebody put forward a budget, we'd all know it's subject to the variables I just talked about. You know, no one's going to hold them to it. I'm surprised they haven't done more on that because it's been, you know, we've been talking about that since June. Like, yeah. when are you going to show us how much you're spending? What's the so-called fiscal anchor? In other words. Is there a limit to how much you're doing? What are your guidelines for how much you're spending? It's all of those things. And we have had so little information or direction from the federal government on that on that file. Uh, I, I've been surprised by it because the heat just increases. The criticism of the government's approach just increases. Well, they could mitigate a lot of that by telling us, what's your fiscal anchor? Give us a budget so we have an idea. Are you thinking this is sort of some unlimited spending affair? Mm. Because you'd be forgiven for thinking that the way they've operated. So I have been surprised we haven't come forward some, some uh, something more meaningful. Michael, I always appreciate our conversations. You make it uh, easy to understand. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. My pleasure. And then you can just reflect whether I ever stop breathing when I do that because <laughs> I talk so much. <laughs> My pleasure. Thanks very much. Take care, Michael. Bye-bye now.